welcome to the podcast of Grace Crossing Church, the Life and Faith Intercept. Join us for this Sunday service as we look into the scriptures seeking to be transformed into the image of Christ. Well, Batman The Dark Knight Rises was an enormous hit uh, in the box office in 2012, but actually it was the culmination of a trilogy that started in 2005 uh, with the movie Batman Begins. And in that movie, Bruce Wayne uh, falls into a well where he is attacked by a colony of bats and as a result creates a phobia of bats. If you're wondering what the backstory is on Batman, that's it. And so the entire movie is actually kind of built around his need to overcome and challenge this fear that he has, this phobia, this anxiety um, about bats. Let me ask you a question this morning. It's a simple but important one. What makes you nervous? Not who, but what? For some of you in this auditorium, you could not imagine standing in front of a crowd and speaking like I do on a Sunday morning. I mean, you have an incredible fear of crowds. You have an incredible uh, anxiety just to even think about being put on the spot and speaking. But conversely, I couldn't imagine doing what some of you do. I could not imagine going into a classroom and standing in front of a classroom of kids. That, the very thought of that terrifies me. I could not imagine what it would be like to be in the middle of a surgery room in a life or death situation and be a surgeon or to deliver babies or to work in the ER. I mean, that profession, I respect those who do that. I just could not even imagine doing that with my life. And I've got, honestly, a very... Uh, unnerving sense of heights. So when I think about heights, um, it makes me a little bit queasy in the knees. And I couldn't imagine doing what some of you do, getting up on roofs for a, for a job every week or working construction. Because for me, the very thought of that creates a sense of anxiety within me. Now, whether your fear, your anxiety uh, are real or perceived, whether they're just imagined or whether they're factual, The reality is every one of us have this trigger mechanism that God has hardwired uh, us with that is a result of our nerves. In fact, it's interesting that your body was created, like my body, with nerve cells called neurons. And your body has literally billions of them. In fact, they believe that the human body has more nerve cells then the Milky Way has stars. And it is believed that the Milky Way has somewhere between 200 and 400 billion stars. You say, why such a huge gap? Because they're constantly discovering new galaxies and new planets and new stars. And your body is wired that way. In fact, your human brain alone has about 100 billion neurons, nerve cells, that are always firing and triggering. And it's also interesting to note that your nerve cells are actually the largest, about they can be up to three feet long in your body. Which means if you took all of the neurons, the nerve cells out of your body, and you put them together, they would make a, a, a connected path of about 600 miles in length. That's remarkable. And your neurons, your nerve cells, are constantly firing at a speed of about a mile for every 20 seconds. That's faster than Usain Bolt from Jamaica can run. Okay, and he's fast. Now, all of that's happening in your body and my body, and we're not even thinking about it. 
It's no wonder that David said in Psalm 139 that we are fearfully and we are wonderfully made. Can you imagine what's happening inside of our bodies? But here's the question. Why would God go to such, such great lengths and take such great pains in, in hardwiring us with nerves? What was the reason? Well, actually, your nerves serve a couple of very important functions. Your nerves are designed by God to be a source of feeling, and they're designed to protect you. It's true. When you think about it, think about what life would be like if you had no nerves. If you, if you never experienced pain or you never had any fear. You could have an injury in your life, and an accident, and would not even know you need medical attention. With no nerves, you would never know when sun is too much sun. Because you would stay out in it in hours because your nerves would not tell you. Without nerves, you would not be protected from putting yourselves in harm's way. It is nerves that keep us and protect us and defend us. Nerves are also um, God-instilled response mechanisms. Our bodies are continually sensing what's happening in our environment. And when you sense that, your sensory is picking that up and it's communicating with your central nervous system, which is then sending signals to your brain and your brain is sending signals out to your muscles, telling you how to respond. We are responding constantly to what we're experiencing in our environment. And that's happening through the nerves that God has placed inside of us. But you know, something that's very interesting about nerves is that nerves, when they're physical, can also be expressed emotional and vice versa. You know, you can have nerves emotionally that actually show up physically. You can create habits with your nerves. They're called nervous habits. How many of you here have a nervous habit? Don't raise your hand. Think about it. You know, for me, when I'm sitting with my wife, many times my legs go on like this. And she has to reach over and just put her hand on my knee. It's a nervous habit. I bite my fingernails. When I'm anxious, when I'm under, sometimes I bite my... You know, we all have these kind of nervous impulses, these things that we do. And many times we do them without even giving it a thought. Now, it's actually scientifically purported that people can actually create an addiction to the chemical that is released because of your nerves. That chemical is called adrenaline. And when you get nervous, there is an adrenaline release from your brain that people can actually become addicted to. All of a sudden, the oxygen in your level is being carried by those, those red blood cells and, and, and something's happening inside of you and people actually have a rush that comes from that. We call these people thrill seekers. These are people that live on the edge. They love the feeling of toying with and tinkering with death and the edge of disaster. Now, if you wonder this morning if you're one of those people, uh, just simply ask those who know you best and love you most. And they'll tell you if you toy with fire and if you like living on the edge. I, for one, am not a thrill seeker. Now, don't get me wrong. I love a good adrenaline rush from time to time. Uh, yesterday, I had the opportunity to go to a... To a, to go to a uh, somewhat of a makeshift range and shoot a 45 caliber pistol for the first time in my life. Now, I grew up hunting. I grew up with rifles. I grew up with shotguns. But I have never shot a handgun. 
And yesterday, for the first time, I had an FNX 45 caliber. For those of you that know guns, it's a man's gun. You hear it and you feel it. And let me tell you, there was a rush that I experienced. But I'm not, I'm not one of those thrill-seeking guys that, you know, you know my bucket list does not contain uh, putting a, an elastic rope around my ankle and jumping from 100 feet from an overpass and hoping that elastic thing works before I, I hit the pavement. I, that's not on my bucket list. Now, now i got to be honest, I, I've always wanted to skydive. I've always desired it. But there's one reason that I have never participated and never done skydiving. My wife won't let me. It's really simple. And it's really simple. She said, there's only one way that you can skydive. And that is if you have a terminal illness. So it's good. I've never skydived, right? I mean, isn't that a good thing? If you ever read on my Facebook post that I'm on my way up and I've got a backpack strapped to my back, pray for me. Not that I survived the jump, but that God heals me of whatever that terminal disease is. Because if I do that, my wife is going to have to give me permission for that. We're all affected by our nerves. Some of us are affected by the thought of doing certain things. Others of us that are here today have nervous anticipation and anxiety when we, when we just think about what tomorrow's going to hold for us. We are so overwhelmed and so bound together by nerves that we struggle to kind of figure things out. Well, in the backdrop of all of that kind of scientific and even biblical look at what, at what nerves are like and why God wonderfully and amazingly created us, I want to I wanna take us this morning, this morning to a story. A story that's found in the book of Judges that actually is a story about when Israel was at a time when they were most unnerved. Things were really difficult. And Gideon, who enters the storyboard of biblical history, comes on the scene uh, at a really unique time when Israel was struggling with fear and anxiety and worry and bound up with nerves. Let's read it together in Judges. Chapter 6, beginning at verse number 1. The Israelites did evil. In the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, the Amalekites, and the other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined their crops all the way to Gaza, And did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep, nor cattle, nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. I want you to get the picture. Things are so difficult. And they're living with so much fear and anxiety and worry that they're, they're on nerves end. And they're doing everything they can to not only defend themselves and their families, but also get enough livelihood and, and supplies to be able to protect their families and feed their families. Their animals are being killed. Their, their crops they're planting are being uprooted and being taken over. They have nothing that they can depend on. And so they're living constantly looking over their shoulder and wondering when Midian's going to make their next move. Now, it's in the midst of that scenario that they do what so many of us wait until we're 
so bound up with nerves to respond to God. They call out to God. They cry out to God for help. I don't know why it always takes us so long to actually bring God into the picture of our chaos and our struggles, but it does, doesn't it? So often we don't invite God. God is not a forethought. God is an afterthought. And we've got to reverse that. God must not be an afterthought in our life. God must be a forethought. He must be part of what we're thinking about because God is the solution, especially when we're struggling with our nerves. So enter the picture. Gideon. Gideon's doing something that perhaps a lot of Israelites were doing. He's trying to prepare and backload some supplies in case the Midianites show up again. And we, and we introduced to him for the first time in verse number 11 and verse 12 that says this, The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak of Ophrah that belonged to Joash, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press. He, he didn't even have the right tools to do the job. He's using a wine press to create and harvest some flour to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now, I find this, this kind of greeting uh, fairly, fairly humorous. I love to study the uh, etymology of names, and I love to study the backstory of individuals. And we don't know much about Gideon, but what we do know is this. Gideon was a farmer. He worked in agriculture. And from everything I can tell, there is nothing of aspiration in Gideon's life to do anything but farm. He didn't aspire to becoming a great political leader. He had no interest in necessarily being a part of a military operation. He was just as content harvesting crops and taking care of cattle and livestock as he was doing anything else. His name, interestingly enough, means one who cuts down. And God shows up to Gideon and God says, Gideon, there's something about your life and what I'm going to do in your life. Something that, that of potential in you that you don't even see in yourself. You're no longer going to be plowing fields and harvesting crops. And you're no longer going to be caring for cattle. I've got another mission for you. I've, I've got another plan for you. I see something in you that you can't even do yourself. I think as you as you read the rest of the narrative with me, you're going to discover what I discovered. I think Gideon would have rather just left things the way they are in some ways because things get very unnerving. You know, Gideon's response is pretty interesting. His response is a lot like Steve, Steve Carell in Evan Almighty when God said, I want you to build an ark. Who, me? Are you talking to me? Look at how he responds in verse 13. Uh, pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but, but if the Lord is with us, uh, then why has all this happened? Where are all the wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of the Midianites. And then God responds. Verse 14, the Lord turned to him and said, go. Go in the strength that you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Gideon again. Pardon me, Lord. Um, but, but how can I save Israel? My family is the weakest in Manasseh. And I am the least in my family. Here's what he's saying. I got two major strikes against me. Strike one is my family is nothing to speak of. They're nothing to write home about. 
They're not influential people in Manasseh. They're, they're just a common, ordinary family. They live in the lower echelon. There's nothing of significance. My family are not game changers. They're not world shakers. And strike number two, of all that are in my family, and it's probably a big family, I'm the least. I, I, I don't have anything to offer. And so God takes that. And here's what he says to Gideon. Verse number 16. The Lord answered five simple words. I will be with you. That's it? That's it? I mean, Gideon is saying, is is this all you have to offer me? I mean, what about a strategic plan, God? You know, what about an arsenal of equipment, God? What about some battering rams and scaling ladders and and missile uh, grenades and, 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 and launchers? I mean, I need some big stuff here to go into battle. One thing, I'm with you. I'm going to say something at this juncture that I want to make sure goes on record this morning. If your relationship with God never makes you nervous, you might want to rethink your relationship with God. There are times in our lives when God asks us to do things and calls us to do things that we simply do not feel adequate to do. We don't feel prepared to do. They are things that I will say make us nervous and force us to depend on God to come through. And you know what? If you walk with God and that in your relationship with God, you never hit that point where God asks you to do something that makes you feel a little nervous. You might want to ask yourself how open and transparent and obedient and willing you are to follow the Gospels. To do what the Bible calls us to do. I, I remember as a young man in Bible college, we were part of a, a church in Omaha, Nebraska. It was a wonderful church and helped shape a lot of who we are today. And we were part of the youth ministry, the student ministry, and they were preparing for a week-long retreat. Not a weekend, a week. And they had a lot of students in this youth ministry. And so they, we were part of the leadership and we led a small group in the ministry and, um, I'll never forget the night the, one of the pastors, uh, assistant youth pastor came to me. He said, I need to talk to you for a second. I was 19 years old. He said, we're getting ready for the week-long retreat. We've got about four buses, and we've talked, and we've decided we want you to drive a bus. 19, okay? I never drove anything more and larger than a little Toyota Corolla in my life. Not a truck, not anything. Didn't, at that time, you didn't have to have a CDL license, but if you would have had to have one, I didn't have it. I, I had no training, no education, no experience, never done that before. I said to him, oh, listen, you got the wrong guy. You definitely have the wrong guy. I, I, I don't know anything about this. I'm just a student in Bible college. I mean, I've never driven a bus. I'd, I'd just be so nervous. I, I wouldn't know what to do. I'd be on edge. He goes, that's exactly why we want you to do it. Because we know that you will not have confidence in yourself. You'll listen to instructions. You'll become a, a, a good learner and a good student quickly. And you'll take our lead and you'll follow exactly what we say. And I said, got it. Sometimes God calls us. And we get asked to do things that we don't feel adequately prepared to do. And I think unless we're willing at times to step up and step outside the comfort zone and say, God, I'm willing to do it, we're going to miss out on some of the greatest blessing that God wants to bring. Now, this is where the story gets really interesting. It takes a very, very interesting turn. Let's look at verses 1 through 3 of verse number 7. 
early the next morning. God doesn't even let Gideon sleep on it more than a night. Early the next morning, Gideon and his army got up. And he moved their camp, notice it, to fierce spring. In the Hebrew, the word is en hebor. It literally means the spring of fear. Can you imagine of all of the places that Gideon could have gone? And there's a reason it was named this, by the way. There's a reason that it got this name of being a place of fear. Of all of the places Gideon goes, Gideon goes to, to, to fear spring. The Midianites' camp was on the north in the valley of the foot of Mora Hill. The Lord said, Gideon, your army is too big. I can't let you win with this many soldiers. The Israelites would think that they had won the battle all by themselves and that I didn't have anything to do with it. So call your troops together and tell them that anyone who is really afraid can leave Mount Gilead and go home. 22,000 men returned home, leaving Gideon with only 10,000 soldiers. Historically, the army of of the Midianites was comprised of about 120,000 troops, which meant that the Israelites were already outnumbered about four to one. And God says it's too big, too many. I want the odds to be further against you, and so here's what I want you to do. Anyone that is terrified and really afraid and cannot even imagine going into this thing, go ahead and let them go. The rest I want to stay, and only 10,000 of 32,000 actually remain. I want to juxtapose that with an interesting article I read some time ago in Psychology Today, and it was an article about a study, a research study, that had been done uh, on the Army Special Ops. It was a scientific study uh, that was led by Dr. Charles Morgan from Yale Medical University. And they were actually studying the chemical management that happens in the human brain when somebody, especially these special ops, are under pressure. And they did this study while they were in their training school, their survival school, which included mock interrogations, uh, mock torture and pressure type things that they could undergo. And it was actually uh, monitoring the chemicals in their human brain. There was one chemical in particular that Dr. Morgan noticed that functioned differently, not only the rest of the world and the rest of population, but it functioned differently than regular troops in the army. It was actually called neuropeptic Y. Neuropeptic Y, which is short for NPY. And it was actually, it's a chemical that was discovered in the early 1980s that actually affects the way your body breaks down hormones like adrenaline. And, and what it affects, because what adrenaline does is it affects the prefrontal cortex of your brain. When you're in high pressure situations, your prefrontal cortex doesn't do what it's designed by God to do. It doesn't reason and understand and think logically and calculate, it can't. It's in the middle of a fight-or-flight moment. But here's what they discovered, interestingly, about these special ops. They discovered that in the training, their brains were actually producing more NPY than average people, which did this. It allowed them to think clearly under pressure, and it allowed them to respond logically and thoughtfully 
even in the midst of battle, which is what made them such perfect candidates for special ops. Now juxtapose that with the story. I think God was saying something, and by the way, God is the one who hardwired us with that ability. God put that chemical inside of our brains. And I think what God was saying was this, anyone who is so afraid that the NPY is not going to respond the way that it should in their bodies, let them go, because they will not think clearly, logically, in the midst of pressure. But those that are not willing to be overcome by fear, in other words, Fear will not dominate their minds, their thought life. Their nerves will not get the best of them. Keep them. Now, if that were not enough, if that were not enough, God takes this thing one step further. Look at what he does. Verses 4 through 8. Gideon, the Lord said, you still have too many soldiers. Now they're, they're 1 to 12, right? So, so the odds are now 1 to 12. You still have too many. Take them down to the spring, to fear spring, and I'll test them. I'll tell you which ones can go along with you and which ones must go back home. When Gideon led his army down to the spring, the Lord told him, Watch how each man gets a drink of water. Then divide them into two groups. Those who lap the water like a dog and those who kneel down to drink. 300 men scooped up water in their hands and lapped it, and the rest knelt down to get a drink. The Lord said, Gideon, your army will be made up of everyone who lapped the water from their hands. Send the others home. I'm going to rescue Israel by helping you and your army of 300 defeat the Midianites. Then Gideon gave these orders. You 300 men, stay here. The rest of you, 9,700. Go home, but leave your food and leave your trumpets with us. There's actually an explanation for this. I mean, it sounds so odd when we first read it, we first hear it. We think, what in the world could God be thinking? But sociologists actually call this situational awareness. And here's how it works. Situational awareness says that when you're in the midst of pressure and you're overwhelmed by fear, anxiety, your nerves are getting the best of you, you actually tune everything else out around you. You can't hear any other things. Audio and audibly, all you're thinking of is what's right in front of you. Visually, you're not seeing anything else around you. You have one moment of thought and one focus of thought. And that is whatever that imminent danger or fear is. But here's the problem. When you lose what's called situational awareness, you lose the ability to respond to the unseen, that which you could never expect. I personally am of the opinion and the conviction that when the enemy responds to our lives, he does it at his very best when we are myopic, when we're thinking about ourselves, when we're thinking about one situation, one person. And here's what happens. Those that knelt down lost the sense of anything around them. Their heads were buried in the water. Why? They were terrified. They were worried about this being the last drink they might get. They had no idea what was next on the horizon. But those that lifted the water, 300, they remained situationally aware of everything that was going on around them. Now what happens when you lose that? 
Well, it affects your physical body. Sometimes you start breathing real heavy. Sometimes, sometimes you hyperventilate. Sometimes you hold your breath. I've always found it interesting when I'm flying and the flight attendant comes out into the cabin and says something like this as part of the announcements. Now, if there's an emergency or the cabin pressure should change, there will be a compartment that will open just above you and out will fall an oxygen mask. Place it over your face, your nose and your mouth, and do what? Breathe normally. How many of you are like me? You're not breathing normally at that moment, right? Okay. All right, situational awareness is getting the best of me. I'm not breathing normally. Uh, and reality is God knows exactly what happens when our nerves take over our lives. When we become overwhelmed by fear and anxiety and worry and we lose our sense of, of, of perception of the world around us. I, I think nerves have a way of skewing our view of who God is and skewing our view of the world around us. I think it affects the way we see life. Listen, I think spouses that are here, your anxiety and your worry can, can, can actually affect the way you see the person sitting next to you. It can affect the way you look at your kids. It can affect the way you interact with your coworkers, the way you see your boss. Your, your nerves, your anxiety, your fears can actually overwhelm you to the point that you are simply not thinking or responding logically, much less spiritually. So let me get to the end here. There's a lot more we could talk about in the story, but I, I think there are some important takeaways that I want you to hear this morning that I think Gideon helps us to see. And I think they're helpful to every one of us that are here today to know how to manage our nerves. How do we manage our fears, our anxieties, our worries, whether they're real or whether they're imagined? What can we do? How can we respond? Well, I think that something that Gideon teaches us in his narrative is that he had a healthy fear, a healthy biblical fear. In other words, I think that Gideon feared God more than he feared failure. He feared God more than he feared the Midianites. He feared God more than how big his army was going to be. The Bible talks a lot about the fear of the Lord being the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord helping us to avoid evil and sin. How the fear of the Lord helps us. And, and you know what? A lot of us have a skewed perspective of what that means. A lot of us in this auditorium, when we think of God, we think of God as a TI, a technical instructor in the Air Force, who's barking orders and telling you and commanding what you're supposed to do and demanding your respect and your attention and your allegiance. That's not God. God is, is most often portrayed in the Bible as what? A father. Now listen, my kids, I think, have a healthy respect and honor of who I am. But my kids do something that many of you probably wouldn't even do. My kids come to me, and they talk to me, and they ask me things, and they'll, and they'll have a conversation, and they're not worried about how I may respond because I'm their father. They know me as their dad. And you know what? When we know God as our heavenly father, not as some drill sergeant who's barking orders at us, we can have this healthy understanding of a, of a relationship with God that helps us to fear him so that we don't have to fear anything else. I think a lot of times we fear things because we don't really fear God. We don't respect and honor who he is. When God is in the right place in our eyes and our, and our attention and we focus on him in a healthy way, it frames everything else about our lives. I think we need a healthy 
biblical fear. I think, secondly, we need a confidence in God. I think Gideon's confidence in God trumped his confidence or lack of confidence in his abilities. The fact that he couldn't do certain things was actually the best thing for him. It actually helped him. Because he had a confidence in God that led him to the point of saying, God, I can trust you because you said you'd be with me. You promised that you wouldn't leave me. You wouldn't forsake me. It's exactly what Jesus came and promised each of us. That he's never going to walk out of our lives. We will never be alone. And even when we go through times of fear and worry and anxiety, listen, you and I can have confidence that God is there. And there's one final thing. And I can't tell you how important this is. This is a biblical principle that I think is established throughout the Bible, especially when we come to the New Testament. God has actually given us a mechanism to manage the nerves and the worries and the anxieties and the fears that we have, and it's called prayer. You want to manage the MPY, that chemical in your brain that God put there? You want to manage how you respond to nervous situations and nervous moments to anxiety and worry, prayer is the answer. Prayer allows us to tap into a God who created us a certain way and knows how to to get our bodies to function in the right way in the right moments. I think far too many of us live our lives unnerved because we haven't figured out the principle and the value of prayer yet. And when you do, listen, I'm not promising you're never going to worry. I'm, I'm not, I, I would be a fool to stand up here today and say, you'll never be nervous. You'll never have fear. Go ahead and live on the edge and you'll never experience any terror. You will. But listen, when you pray, you've got an ability and a power that is available to you that you cannot get any other way. And God offers it freely and fully to each and every one of us. I think we need a healthy fear of God. I think we need a confidence in God. And I think we need to tap into the mechanism of prayer that God has offered each one of us to deal with our anxieties, our worries, and to manage our nerves. I want you to bow your heads this morning and close your eyes. I've asked Jamie to come today, and he's going to close us in prayer. And uh, I pray this morning that God will help you, each of you, to take the thoughts that we've shared today and be able to apply them Not just to your life today and this week, but in the weeks to come and the months to come. May God's word help you and free you and give you strength to be like him. Father, we we look at you and God, with a healthy fear, God, we want to fear you. We want to respect you and know that you're our father. You're, You're the one that we look to in our times of trouble, in our times of need, in the times that we are, we're, we're afraid or we're, we're nervous and, and we have, have this anxiety, God, we can always look to you, God, and you're always there to calm us. You're always there to take care of our needs. Even when we don't feel like it, you're there. And today, God, I pray that you'd help every single person here that, that's, that's heard this message, God, and they would just take this this week and be able to apply this to their life, when they face that fear, when they, when they face that uh, situation that makes them nervous or brings anxiety, I pray that they remember to pray and to go to you, God, 
you'd help me, God, when I face those things this week. Help me to remember not to, uh, not after it's over, but before when it happens, God, to go to you in prayer and know that you're going to meet our needs, God, and that you're there, and that nothing is too big for you, God. You're, you can take care of anything that happens in our life. Nothing that we face, God, makes you nervous. So, God, this week, I just pray that you be with every single person, God, and I just pray a blessing over every person that's coming to this building today, God. Lord, we love you. Lord, we commit our weeks to you, God. Lord, we bless you in your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. To learn more, check out gracecrossingchurch.net. To experience Grace Crossing Church in real time, we meet on Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. at 1153 Beaver Valley Road in Beaver Creek, Ohio. Thanks and have a wonderful day.